Sound of Football with your host, Colin Summer, brought to you by WHIP. What's up, everybody? It's Sound of Football back with another episode. Week 13 has concluded. It was a great week of football, a lot of interesting things happening. We're nearing the end of the season, about ahead in the playoffs. We are into Christmas season, so it's holiday season for everyone. So it's a good time of the year. I hope you guys are enjoying these episodes as much as I am, but let's get right into it. So we're going to start off with our recap. So the first game I want to talk about is the Raiders-Jets game. And this was definitely an interesting game. 100% should have been a much easier win for the Raiders. It shouldn't have been as close as it was. But uh, let's get into some stats. Derek Carr, he went 28 for 47. He had 381 yards, three touchdowns, one pick. Henry Ruggs had three catches for 84 yards and one touchdown. He had the game-winning 46-yard touchdown, which I'll touch on in a sec. Trayvon Mullen had an interception. And defensive end Clellan Farrell had two forced fumbles that were both recovered, one by Max Crosby and I believe the other one by Jonathan Hankins, I could be wrong. But again, this was a good game. It shouldn't have been as close as it was. I mean, the Jets are now 0-11 or 0-12, I believe. Definitely not the season they were hoping for. Looking like they're going to get Trevor Lawrence at this point. We'll see, because the Jags are still in contention for that. So what else? So on the uh, there's another person on the Raiders who had a tremendous game that I'm going to bring up, but I'm not going to do it while I'm talking about the game. You'll understand why. Sam Darnold went 14 for 23. He had 186 yards, two touchdowns, one pick. Ty Johnson, who's kind of bounced around the league, I remember him being on the Lions for some time. He had 22 carries for 104 yards and a touchdown. And then Josh Adams, who I believe was on the practice squad of the Eagles for a while. He's out of Notre Dame. He's young. The Eagles had him. He didn't do really well there. But he had eight carries for 74 yards, so he didn't have a bad day. Jameson Crowder, five catches for 47 yards. Not a lot of yardage, but he did have two touchdowns. Arthur Mollett, I haven't heard this name in a while. He used to play for the Saints. He actually had an interception. But let's talk about this 46-yard touchdown to Ruggs. So what should have been just play the sticks ended up being a seven-man blitz dialed up by Greg Williams, the defensive coordinator, to the Jets, and that ended up letting Ruggs free for that touchdown. And then less than 24 hours later, Greg Williams is fired. I think this is the right decision, and I think it's just the beginning of, hopefully, for the Jets, a clean sweep of their management team. I think that Adam Gase needs to go. But this helps the Raiders. The Raiders are still in contention for a wild card spot. I believe their record is now 7-5. and five. It's going to come down on the wire in the AFC. I know there's a lot of teams. I know you have like the Dolphins. You have the Ravens who are still pushing for one. You have the Colts. There's a lot of teams trying to get into that wild card spot. So we'll see how that turns out. But for now, the next game, the Giants-Seahawks. Now this wasn't a real barn burner. It was a very, very defensive game. But the Giants come out on top, 17-12, to and the Giants are taking a decent lead of their division. Not that it's hard to, it's the NFC East, but their defense pretty much locked up the Seahawks. What they did on Sunday against the Seahawks actually leaped them into top 10, a top 10 defense overall in terms of scoring yards per game and then other statistics that are involved but there's other well, let's talk about the other guys in this game so Cole McCoy obviously in place for Daniel Jones stealing with a hamstring injury went 13 for 22 with 105 yards a touchdown and a pick Wayne Gallman he has filled in absolutely perfectly for Saquon I I think this team would be doing a lot not a lot better but a good amount better with Saquon but Wayne Gallman 16 carries 136 yards I believe that's back-to-back weeks with over 90 yards for him he's doing really really well how about this name? Alfred Morris 
Haven't heard his name in a while. Back when he was on the uh, he was on the Cowboys for a little bit. He was on the former Redskins, now fo- Washington football team. But he had eight carries for 39 yards, a touchdown, and a catch for six yards and a touchdown. So he had two touchdowns and a total of 45 yards. Now, he's obviously not the lead back, but it's just a name I never thought I'd hear again. Cornerback uh, Darnay Holmes, he had an interception off uh, Russell Wilson. And then Leonard Williams had two and a half sacks, which is really good. That defense is just coming through with a lot of big plays. Russell Wilson, a rough day for him, 27 for 43, 263 yards, a touchdown, and an interception. It just didn't look like a great game for that offense. They looked like there was a lot of miscues, misconnections. It just it wasn't a clean game for them. Chris Carson was probably the only steady guy in this game. He had 13 carries for 65 yards, and he also had three catches for 45 yards and a touchdown. DK Metcalf, he led the team in uh, not catches, but he led in yards. He had five catches for 81 yards. I believe Tyler Lockett led in catches with six for 63. Could be wrong. And then Quandre Diggs had an interception. But overall, this was just a really defensive game. And remember, at one point, I called it a baseball game because it was 8-5. to five. It was just a really weird score. Somebody had a safety. But what does this mean for the Giants and the Seahawks? Well, for the Giants, they're starting to take, like I said, they're starting to take a good lead in the NFC East. The NFC West is a very, very tight division. So the Seahawks, losing this game is is bad for them. It's really bad for them. They need to get as many wins as possible to take as much of a commanding lead of that division division as possible. And unfortunately, they didn't do it in this game. But Seahawks, they don't they don't capture the win again. Seventeen twelve Giants. Washington Steelers is the next game. I love this. I will be getting going more in depth with the Steelers in a little bit. But the the Washington football team comes out on top. A team that's in the worst division in football beats the only undefeated team. And the Steelers now are 11-1. Washington wins 23-17. to Alex Smith, he's a, he, I don't know if anyone was watching the game. I hope a lot of people were. He got cleated in the ankle. He literally had a hole in his leg. And he had blood dripping down his sock. I mean, this man's been through so much. And the fact that he's still on the field, he's still playing. He's still pushing to be as good as he can be. All props to him. Honestly, it's inspiring. He went 31 for 46 with a touchdown. Peyton Barber, he had 23 yards and one touchdown. Antonio Gibson got hurt this game, so their run game was kind of weak. But Logan Thomas, kind of a surprising name. He's a tight end for the football team. He had nine catches for 98 yards and a touchdown. He's kind of exploded on the scene in a couple in the past couple of weeks. Uh, Terry McLaurin, you know, you're t- he, he's been phenomenal all year. He got held to two catches for 14 yards, unfortunately. And John Bostic, he's the one who had the game-winning interception off the tip pass. Ben Roethlisberger, on the flip side of things, had thir- he went 33 for 55 with two touchdowns. He had one pick. James- so James Washington had two catches in this game. One was a 50-yard catch, and the other one was a 30-yard touchdown. Talk about efficiency. Now, this is an interesting stat line to me, and I heard one of the announcers talking about it as well during the game. Juju Smith-Schuster had seven catches, right? So you would think maybe he's got, like, you know, somewhere between 60 to 80 yards. But no, he has seven catches for 28 yards. I guess that's just the way the system is working around him, the way the play calling is. He's just catching a bunch of really, really short passes. Definitely not great for fantasy owners. Juju, if you can hear me, I'm sorry you didn't get to do your TikTok dance this week. Unfortunately, I see a lot of people making fun of the Steelers for doing that. Deontay Johnson, he had eight catches for 71 yards. The team in total had three sacks, but let's talk about T.J. Watt. T.J. Watt leads the entire league in sacks, tackle for losses, pressures, QB hits, and pass rush win rate. I know I said Aaron Donald a couple weeks ago for Defensive Player of the Year, but I think that T.J. Watt has taken the throttle. I, th- I, I think he's definitely the front runner for it. He's putting on a show. 
I mean, with forced fumbles and everything, just everything that he does, he does so well. There's not, he doesn't have a weakness. He's just so fun to watch. But the Steelers couldn't get it done, so we had two pretty big upsets this week with the Giants and the Seahawks and the Steelers and the football team. And that is it for our recap. And our next portion of this podcast, let's talk about our outstanding performers. So we have Darren Waller. This is why, now I know this is why I didn't talk about him in the Raiders-Jets game because I knew I had him outstanding for performers. He had 13 catches for 200 yards. He had two touchdowns. And let it be known that he is the sixth tight end in NFL history with 200 yards. He had a, a phenomenal day. Greg Williams, again, who got fired, he had absolutely no solution for him. Jets were playing extremely soft coverage. He was able to get underneath and rack up the yards after catch. It was a very, very easy day for Darren Waller. I, I'm sure he was having a lot of fun. So props to him. Baker Mayfield, our next guy. He hasn't been that sharp this year. He hasn't been sharp really since his rookie year. The Browns record, though, is now 9-3. and three. Baker Mayfield had a great day against the Titans, who are a good team, but don't have the greatest defense. But they're still a good team. They were walloping them at one point. It still ended up being a close, only a six-point game, 41-35. to 35. But Baker Mayfield's stats on the day were 25 for 33 with 334 passing yards and four touchdowns. And I believe Baker had close or just a little bit over 300 yards at half. So the fact that he only passed for 34 yards after, they definitely went wrong conservative. And that's probably why the Titans were able to rack up so many points to get to a closer game. But in the end, Baker Mayfield gets the win, has a great day, and again, good for him. And then for my last guy, now you could say Josh Allen. Josh Allen had a great game against the 49ers. He went 32 for 40. He had 375 passing yards. He had four touchdowns. And he easily had a better day than the guy I'm about to talk about. But it's just the accolade that this person got. I wanted to mention it. And and he had a good day. So Aaron Rodgers, he went 25 for 34 with 295 passing yards and three touchdowns. And their team is now 9-3. But the thing I wanted to point out is he did record his 400th career touchdown so congratulations to him I think it's worth noting like I said you know I'll even throw Josh Allen in here I already said his stats he could he's an outstanding performer as well but there's no reason not to mention Aaron Rodgers this is a big milestone for him that he's proud about I know he's shooting for the championship I think he'd rather have that much more but those are the outstanding performers of the week now let's talk about the cold hard truth (gasps) Jalen Hurts is not a savior he is not a savior. Now he might have came in, and you know he had that he had that crazy. It was fourth and eighteen, and he threw the touchdown to Greg Ward, and it was just a crazy play. And but but let's break it down. At the end of the day, when he's trying to lead a comeback, he went five for twelve. That's not a great completion percentage. It's not great by any means. He had ninety-two yards, I believe, or something around that. Nothing crazy. Nothing crazy. Maybe over 100 a little bit. Nothing crazy. Now, he came in and he had better stats than Wentz, but realistically, they weren't that much better. He still th- he threw a pick. He threw a pick. I think the problem with the Eagles, there's multiple things. One, they are not building around Wentz correctly. And th- this stems from even just this past draft. Jalen Rager. Now, I'm not, I have nothing against him. I, you know, he had that crazy punt return touchdown this past weekend. Again, nothing against him, but there's no reason you do not draft Justin Jefferson in that in that slot. Like, there's no reason you don't draft him. Justin Jefferson put on a show on the biggest college football platform 
that there that there is each year. In the national championship, he went off, and he had been going off the entire season. He's a, a pristine route runner. He knows what he's doing. He has great hands. He's got good speed, decent size. There's no reason not to draft him there. I blame that on Howie Roseman. And, and no offense to Jalen Hurts, but there's no reason Jalen Hurts should have been drafted in the second round. Why draft him? It's not like Carson Wentz had a bad year the year before. He's having a bad year this year. But there was no reason to to draft Jalen Hurts. They could have drafted an O-lineman. They knew their O-line was going to be shaken up. They could have beefed up the O-line a little bit. It was still looking a little shaky. They could have drafted another receiver. Because Alshon Jeffrey certainly is not is not going to cut it. He's not going to cut it. The most productive receiver for the Eagles this season has been a, a practice squad player. Travis Fulgham, who's bounced around. Again... I blame this on Howie Roseman. I, I I just don't think he's doing a lot of things right. And, and and it's not just him. Doug Peterson's play calling, he needs to give up in play calling. I, I, I'm sorry. He's an awful play caller. You have, you run the ball on first down. You get two yards. It's second and eight. So then you go and run it again. But the thing is, is you don't even spice it up a little bit. You just run it again straight down the middle. And you get a ta- it's a tackle for loss. And then it's third and ten. And then you force Wentz again, who hasn't been great this year, to throw. It's just not a good idea. And then you might have, like, a third and seventh situation, and then you throw a little out route, like, for four yards to a tight end or something. It just doesn't make sense. The play calling just hasn't added up this year. He's he's not catering to what Wentz is best at. Like I said, Wentz, I'm not saying Wentz has been great by any means. I literally talked about how Jalen Hurts needed to see some playing time, but I, I, I just like see this week, and I don't, th- again, I don't think Jalen Hurts is the difference maker here. I think that in totality, Doug Peterson needs to give up play calling. Howie Roseman needs to learn how to build around Wentz better, and and and, and but let's talk, and let's also just talk about the offensive line right now. You have Jason Peters, who's older than dust. I mean, his 38 playing right guard is getting bodied every single play. You have Lane Johnson, who's out for the year. You got a guy who's playing rugby three years ago who's still learning how to play O-line. There's just so many second and third strings playing right now. It's Jason Kelsey's the only solid piece, and even him, he, he's aging a little bit. He's showing signs of regression. He's still doing good. He's still their best offensive lineman, but they really got to focus on that position. I know I'm not saying it's the Eagles organization's fault. Like, you can't help that there was an injury to Andre Dillard. You can't help that there was an injury to Brandon Brooks. But, I mean, Wentz literally has less than two seconds to throw the ball. Otherwise, he's getting sacked. And people are saying, well, you got to learn how to throw the ball away. Well, the receivers aren't getting open. There's no separation. Alshon Jeffrey isn't fast enough. Yeah, you could toss it up to him, but he's probably going to get injured if he goes up for a catch. Jalen Rager, he's still young, but this is where... You, you get a guy like Jefferson who is able to create separation at, at will. I just don't, I truly just don't understand it. I think that, like I said, my whole point is Jalen Hurts is not a savior. Eagles fans might want to see him play and, and be thrilled by that. But he this him playing proved nothing, in my opinion. And then the other cold hard truth, and this is coming from a Saints fan. Taysom Hill is not a franchise QB. Now, I'm not trying to be biased. I'm not trying to, we're not having bias here. I don't like Taysom Hill as a franchise QB. I've been wanting to see Jameis Winston play quarterback for the Saints for as long as Brees has been out. And Sean Payne made it known earlier in the season that if Drew Reeves were to sustain an injury during the season, that Taysom Hill would become the starter. But if it was during mid-game, that Jameis Winston would come in the game because he has more experience. Now, there's a couple of reasons why I don't think that Taysom Hill is a franchise QB. His stats look decent. I will admit that. He has 543 passing yards, 
which isn't a tremendous amount in a three-game span, but he also has 176 rushing yards on 34 carries, which has been a very efficient. He's two passing touchdowns and four rushing touchdowns. But my problem with Taysom Hill is he's he's just not – there's three things. He's One, he's too reckless with the ball. If anyone watched that Falcons game, he had a really, really costly fumble, which gave the Falcons a lot of momentum. And then in the closing minutes of the game when the Saints were trying to ice it, he fumbles and thank goodness it went out of bounds. Otherwise, every Saints fan would have been coming for his head. He doesn't know how to get rid of the ball. When he's being chased down, he try, he tries to do way too much. He tries to do way too much. And he doesn't know how to not take... I mean, this kind of just goes with doesn't know how to get rid of the ball, but he, he takes sacks like it's nothing. Like, he acts like it's nothing. He'll have, like, a nine-yard loss on a sack, and, and, yeah, he'll be frustrated with it, but he's got to know when to throw the ball away, move out of the pocket. He doesn't have that pocket awareness. Now, he started three games in his entire career, and he's already 30 years old. So how can you really be mad at him? You can't, but... I think there's just so many different things that have gone on in these past three games that just show that he's not capable of being a franchise quarterback, somebody who can take a team to the Super Bowl, to the playoffs. I just, I mean, with the Saint, with the, how the Saints are, the, you know, the pieces that they have on offense, Michael Thomas, Alvin Kamara, Emmanuel Sanders, just, just a lot of different people. And uh, with how the defense has been playing, sure, they can make the playoffs, but Taysom Hill is not somebody who will win you a Super Bowl. And I'm not saying that Jameis Winston is, but Jameis Winston has a lot more potential, in my opinion. You know, he got his eyes fixed. He's learning under Breeze. He's still young. He was first for he was former first overall pick for a reason. And you can say that a lot about a lot of busts, but I see more potential with Jameis Winston. I look at what Teddy Bridgewater learned under Drew Brees and how he is doing in Carolina, and he's ha- he's putting on a decent season. I just think that all signs point to Taysom Hill not being a franchise QB, and that is the cold hard truth. I hope you guys enjoyed that. I really like doing that. Oh, yeah, and just to, and just to add, he, he's been sacked eight times in three weeks. And why I don't want Fran... And that's not, I have nothing wrong with Taysom Hill. It's just that what makes him so valuable is his versatility in multiple positions on the field. Him playing tight end and blocking. Him playing tight end and receiving. Him playing wide receiver. Him playing running back him playing special teams you can't if he's playing quarterback he's not doing any of those other things and that's and he's a true threat when he's on the field there's no doubting that so I I'm just not a fan of the thought of Taysom Hill being a franchise quarterback now we got some steaming hot takes so my first steaming hot take so if the Steelers receive the number one seed they will lose in the divisional round to whoever they play. Now, that might sound crazy. You know, they were undefeated until they lost to the football team. You know, their defense is great and everything. I just don't think that the offense is quite that good. Now, they haven't had a bad... I'm not saying they've had a bad season offensively, but the passing game hasn't been phenomenal. Establishing the run game is an issue without James Conner, but even with James Conner, it's still definitely questionable, a little bit up in the air. I think that losing to the football team solidified this for me. You're really going to lose to a team in the worst division in football. You have the best defense in football. You have a decent offense. You're 11-0, and you lose at home, even though home games aren't quite the same as they usually are without fans. But you lose at home to the football team. And my God, props to Alex Smith. Let's go. Just, I just don't think, I think they're just slightly overrated. I think that their record doesn't accurately portray how good they are. 
um, the combined record of the teams they've beaten this year, 46 and 72 and two, because two ties. That's not that. That's not impressive. They've beaten two, two or three over five hundred teams. I just don't think they're that great. I think they. I think personally, they're the most overrated. Prior to this game, they were the most overrated undefeated team that I had ever seen. I, I looked at their strength of schedule, their competition. Now, I'm not going to take it away from the Steelers. I'm not going to say they didn't deserve to be eleven and zero. Sure, they did. Sure, they did because the teams they played were not that great. I'm not saying that. Oh, well, you're supposed, you know, are we supposed to play other people in the schedule? Are we just supposed to ignore our schedule and play random games? No, you play, you play your schedule. It's that simple. There's nothing they can do about that. Obviously, if they're playing weak teams, they're going to beat them. Or at least they want to. What are they supposed to do? Purposely lose or, or obliterate them every time? It's not always going to be a blowout, but it's just the fact that a couple of the games that they won against bad teams were, were not great wins. They were, they were very weak wins. Um, I, I just don't see the Steelers as I, no matter what happens in that divisional round, even if my hot take doesn't come true, I don't see them getting past the Chiefs. I think the Chiefs are <laughs> the most polished team in the NFL. You know, me being a Saints fan, I don't want to say the Saints, but it's so with Patrick Mahomes and Tyree Kill and, and Travis Kelsey and even their defense playing decent. I don't see anyone getting past the Chiefs. In the AFC. But that's my seeming hot take. I, I really see Steelers exiting uh, the first round that they actually play a game. So that's the first one. And my second one. The Giants will win a playoff game. Now, <laughs> this sounds kind of crazy because I had the Steelers on the flip side of an upset. But I had the Giants taking an upset. So, what I saw in the Seahawks game. Now, now again, the Seahawks, who are currently in the playoffs. Well, would be in the playoffs. Lost to the Giants, who are... Also going to be in the or could be in the playoffs depending on how the NFC East unravels, but the Giants, like I said before, now they have a top ten defense after this other game. Like I said, based on scoring yards and other statistics, the offense can put up some points. A lot of that does depend on whether Daniel Jones is Danny Dimes or Danny Turnovers. You know, we don't really know exactly what's going on there. But the, the Giants just won with Cole McCoy at quarterback. I'm not saying he did anything to push them forward to get them the win. It was mainly the defense. But if this defense can play the way they're playing, and props to, let me tell you someone who's been an absolute steal for the Giants, James Bradbury. He's been an excellent, 100% top five corner, if not top three this year. He is so underrated. He is so underrated when uh, the Saint, you know, again, me being a Saints fan, he was on the Carolina Panthers for a while, and he was always very, very good. And he is just having an outstanding year with the Giants. Uh, and like I said, he's he's part of the reason they're a top 10 unit. Like I said before, Wayne Gallman, he's done exceptionally well as Saquon's replacement. I could totally see an upset being possible. Let's say they played maybe like uh, the the Rams or the Cardinals or the Vikings or some, someone of that-esque, some other wild card team. I could totally see them winning. I'm not saying it's for sure, but I could see them causing an upset. Like I said, you take Russell Wilson, who's been, you know, he's been cold recently, but he's still an MVP candidate, and it's still a great offense. You got people like DK, Tyler Lockett, Chris Carson. They were relatively able to shut them down. They were able to cause turnovers. They were able to get sex. They were able to do what they needed to do to beat one of the better teams in the NFC. So, essentially, I'm not even going to keep keep babbling I think the Giants could cause an upset in the first round of playoffs. So, that's my steamy hot takes for the week. Alright, the last part of this podcast, my game picks of the week. I have a lock, I have an upset, and then I just have a game of the week, which I think will be the best 
game of the week. My lock for the week is the Colts over the Raiders. I like the Raiders, but I think that they won't be able, especially if Josh Jacobs is out, I think that the Raiders get held by the Colts defense. The Raiders defense is just looking way too Swiss cheesy. They are uh, getting ran through like it's nothing. But I'm taking the Colts over the Raiders 27-23. And then huh, back with Big Blue again for my upset. I'm taking the Giants over the Cardinals this weekend. I saw, the you know, the Cardinals are kind of struggling right now. They're on a slew of losses. I, I'm predicting a 24-20 to win with the Giants. Hopefully I get that one right. And then my game of the week, I have the Vikings and the Bucks. And they're playing each other. They're both teams pushing for a wild card spot. Bucks are already, uh, they would be in the playoffs right now. They currently hold the wild card spot. The Vikings are pushing for it, I believe. I think that it's going to be a really, really close game. I, I don't think it's going to be that defensive. I think it's going to be more so a shootout. But I am going to take the Bucks, unfortunately, with a 30-27 win. That's it for this episode. I, I hope you guys have enjoyed. I, like, I, I really like the segments I did this week. I hope you guys do, too. You know, follow my Twitter at Down to Football uh, TU, Temple University. Check, you know, and you can listen to this on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere that's more accessible to you. And I hope you guys enjoyed. I have one last question Are you down to football?